Turning to our sermon text this morning, we'll be in uh, Genesis again, so chapter 23, Genesis 23, and you should see a little sermon notes page in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along, there's some kids notes questions as well, uh, some kids, uh, a kids notes page I should, I should say, with some questions as well, uh, you should have seen on the way in, uh, just in the back. So Genesis 23 Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died. Remember that uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 5, that list of the patriarchs, and he died, right? And so here is uh, the account of Sarah's death. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead of the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear, uh, but if you will hear me, I give the prize of the field. Accept it for me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. Uh, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in his presence of the Hittites. Before all who went in, at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. And to these words, all of God's people say, Once again, one of those uh, historical narratives, and uh, we might want to wonder and think and question tonight, uh, uh, this morning, uh, you know, how is it that Paul says that all scripture is uh, not just inspired or breathed out by God, but profitable? How is this passage profitable for us? We know that it is, but how? Well, Paul tells us uh, that one of the great benefits of the work that God has done in us to justify us, that is to to grant to us all that Christ did, his, his holy birth, his perfect life, his death, 
for us to satisfy the justice of God, his resurrection from the dead of the power of hell and death itself. All that he's done for us is, is given to us. Uh, it's granted to us. We, we receive that by faith. And so we speak of justification by faith alone. And Paul tells us that one of the great benefits, or actually some of the great benefits of that, uh, are these. Romans chapter 5 says this. We rejoice, we believers, justified believers, uh, we rejoice in our sufferings. Sounds strange, doesn't it? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, perseverance. Uh, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, there's no greater suffering uh, in this life than being on this side of death. Losing a loved one, burying a brother or sister in the Lord is no easy task. It's an unnatural act for which we deeply grieve and we, we never really get over, do we? Those of us who's lost loved ones, even recently, like myself, we don't ever get over and uh, that's a good thing. Reminds us that there's more to life than life. There's something beyond. Uh, Yet God's promise is that suffering, the death of our closest loved ones, produces endurance within us. And that endurance produces character within us. And that character within us produces something the apostle calls hope. Hope. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? You know what he says there about hope? Uh, Hope that's seen is not what? It's not hope, right? Uh, because you don't hope for things that you can see. We, we hope, we long for things that we cannot. And so Paul says that suffering produces in us endurance, endurance character, character produces hope. And so this morning we, we come to this passage of uh, Genesis that speaks of the suffering of our father Abraham at the death of his closest loved one, his wife. And we read here about the endurance that ensued, uh, the character that was created, the hope his faith afforded him in this little chapter. It's a story that illustrates uh, the point that I've been trying to make throughout, that Abraham uh, is as truly human as you or I, as we see him weeping here, we see him grieving the death of his wife. And so that's a source of encouragement to those of us who've lost loved ones, close, dear friends, uh, a father in my case, or someone else. Uh, It's also a source of preparation for those of us uh, who one day will have to bury a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or even, sadly, a child. So let's meditate upon the sorrow of Father Abraham, but most importantly, as we we think about Abraham this morning, We focus our minds and hearts upon the source of his endurance, his character, his hope, Jesus. He's the one who looked death squarely in the face on our behalf that we might not have fear of death. And so as we do that, we meditate upon Abraham's faith amidst a funeral, knowing that his hope did not die in Sarah's death. All these promises God made to him, they didn't come to an end when his wife died. Instead, his hope was placed in the one who had the power to create all things and to recreate all things anew. Look firstly in verses 1 and 2. We see Abraham's faith exhibited or expressed in his tears. Verses 1 and 2. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Verse 32. 
Uh, it's been 37 years since the birth of Isaac in our story here. Uh, and uh, 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 when she was 90 years old back then. The matriarch of Israel, she is ultimately the matriarch, the mother of all the nations who come to trust the Lord and to give their lives to him. Her life now ceases. Uh, what's so amazing about this? We, we see there again that she lived 127 years uh, and she died. And she died. Think about back in chapter 5, that list of, and he lived this many years, he had sons and daughters, and he died. How many women do we read about in Genesis 5 dying? How many women so far in the story uh, of Genesis, how many women have we been told died? Zero, right? Zero. None. Zero. She's the first woman who died. That's, that's interesting for us because usually the first time a thing happens is, is an important event. And so uh, it's important for us. It's amazing for us just to highlight that. Uh, the central place that Sarah plays in the plan of God. She's the first woman mentioned who dies. We don't even read about Eve dying, interestingly. We read, though, about Sarah dying. So what's death? What's death? What does it mean that she dies? Uh, well, recall what God said in the garden. He threatened. He threatened as a curse in that covenant that he made there in the garden. We call it the covenant of works. He he made a, a, a threat there that in the day to Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dying you shall die. You shall surely die. Genesis 2, 17. And so instead of living in the presence of God on earth, in the garden, also forever, instead of having life and the fullness of it, Adam was threatened. If you disobey my command, that life will be severed. That relationship of blessedness between Adam and God, man, human beings and their creator, that relationship, that's the, the, our chief end, to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. That's going to be severed. That's going to come to an end. That's how serious that commandment was. And that's how serious death is. That, that's what death is. It severs that relationship of Life and blessedness with God. So children, why did Abraham cry when Sarah died? Why did Abraham cry when Sarah died? You may, you may not yet have uh, had a loved one, maybe a grandma or grandpa die yet, but uh, you, know, you might have had uh, a friend who's had someone in their family die, you may have gone to a funeral. Uh, you may have maybe had a pet who died or something, right? Something that means something to you, someone or uh, even an animal, right, has died. And you know what? It's hard, right? It's hard. So why is Abraham here crying when his wife dies? He's crying because death stings. Death stings. Just like it hurts if you've ever been stung by a bee or a wasp or even if you played in the dirt in the summertime with a red ant, right? And you've been stung. You feel that sting, that burning sensation. When someone that we love dies, it stings. It hurts. That's why the Bible tells us that death is like a sting, right? There's the sting of death. And so Abraham feels that sting. It hurts. 
It's hard. It's painful. And so we know that death hurts. But what's an even deeper reason for tears? Here's Abraham, who's a believer in God. And he cries. He weeps. He's sorrowful. But what about everybody else? Why is it that even those who don't believe in God cry at funerals? Because it's evidence of faith. Faith that you know something is terribly wrong with the world. People are sorrowful at death because they know that something is broken that they cannot fix. Something's just not right. And when someone dies, it brings you face to face with this great reality. There ain't nothing you can do about it. You're powerless before death. And so everyone has faith. It's just a matter of where that faith is placed. And so when a loved one dies, even for you who may not even trust in Jesus this morning, deep down inside you know that there's something wrong. There's something that you're powerless over. You can't change reality. And so God has put in our hearts, upon our consciences, he's stamped it upon who we are as human beings, that when there is death, we know there's something wrong with the world. That It points us all the way back to our creation. You may not even know that, but that's what it does. Our conscience is like an echo chamber. It's like a hallway all the way back to the beginning of human history that echoes down to us through time that... Something is wrong. Someone has done something, and that someone is Adam who who sinned against God, his creator, against the reality that God is his maker and that we belong to God, but yet we've rebelled against him. And death echoes down to us that there's something beyond the grave. There's life beyond life. There's life beyond life. But here's Abraham. He's a Christian. He's a believer. He doesn't grieve as the world grieves. Paul tells us he grieves in hope. Grieves in hope. And one of our hymns says it so beautifully. Uh, The hymn, Be Still My Soul, says this in one of its lines. Be still my soul when dearest friends depart. And all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shall you better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe your sorrow and your fears. Be still my soul, your Jesus can repay. From his own fullness, all he takes away. Abraham sorrows, but yet he sorrows as a believer. And so it is for us that have this great hope uh, and great encouragement, uh, even as Abraham grieves in tears. But he does so in hope. He does so in hope. And so we can too. Notice, secondly, verses 3 to 18, that his faith is also expressed in the territory uh, that he is. There's this interesting bargaining and bartering, right? Back and forth. Uh, uh, Abraham, uh, he says, you know, hear me, listen up, I've got something to say. And then they say something back, and then he responds, and, and they go back. It's, it's uh, very reminiscent of, a, uh, of an open market, and there's this bartering back and forth. You know, if you've ever been in one of those uh, situations uh, in uh, a different part of the world, I mean, we don't really have that here, I guess, but, uh, you know, the price is the price. And, uh, you know, the price is a certain amount of money, and it's just too much for you. You're a tourist and a in a country that's not your own, and, and they know that, and they, and, they, and they jack the price up on you. Uh, and you say, I just can't afford it. And you start walking away. Before you walk away, my friend, my friend, my friend, I got a special deal just for you, right? You know? And you go back and forth, and eventually you get the price uh, you know, that, that you think you wanted, but really it's the price that he actually wanted. And you, know, you, you think you won, but you really lost. So 
Something of that is here, right? There's this sort of back and forth nest, this bartering uh, kind of thing. And uh, 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 even as Abraham's grieving here in hope, we also see his faith expressed. Notice he, he confesses in verse 4 something about himself. His identity is that he's a sojourner and a foreigner. He's a sojourner and a foreigner. Right? That reminds us of Hebrews 11 where, where you know, he wandered in a land that was not his own. As a stranger, as a vagabond, as an exile. Uh, he was looking for a land and for a city that had, a, that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. I'm a sojourner, he says. I'm a foreigner. He has no property. He has no family burial site, as was the custom. But he's completely at the mercy of those in whose land he wanders. And so he asks for a piece of property to bury his loved one, his dearly loved wife. The Hittites speak very highly of Abraham. You, you see that uh, there. He's a prince of God, as, as he's described. And so they offer the very choices of any of their tombs that he desires. And, and that's where his faith begins to be evident here. He specifically asks to speak with this man, Ephron, uh, about a cave in Machpelah, and he even wants to pay full price for it. So Ephron says to him, I give you the field, verse 11, and I give you the cave that is in it. But yet Abraham insists, verse 13, I give you the, the price of the field. He wants to pay full price. And so Ephron relents, takes a 400 shekels of silver. Now, this is, a, this is just really strange for us, isn't it? This is sort of out of our world. This is not in our experience. Uh, if I'm going to go um, looking for uh, a burial plot for my wife, uh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I, I've already told her, you know, just get me a casket, go find the nearest Orthodox Jewish synagogue and get me one of those wooden boxes. It's the cheapest thing that you can afford. It's going to deteriorate anyway. It's going to turn to dust, and God's going to resurrect me. Uh, I don't want anything expensive. You know, at, 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 a, at the high end, go to Costco, right? <laughs> go to Costco. You can buy those. You can buy a casket these days at Costco. And so this is strange to us. Why does he want to pay full price? Why, and, and, and even more, why doesn't he just bury, if he's a sojourner and a stranger, why not bury Sarah out in the desert, out in the wilderness, because that's what he is? And secondly, it's free. Why not? So why pay full price? Well, if you go back to chapter 14, uh, verse 22 uh, through 24, there's something of an answer for us. Abraham tells the king of Sodom after that, that, that battle that he was involved in where he, where he releases uh, his nephew Lot. He says to him, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord, God, of the, uh, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abraham rich. Uh, This king, as he was victorious, had the spoils of war and was going to give Abraham anything he wanted. Abraham says, no, I cannot live my life knowing that someone should say, I made Abraham rich. Of course, the next chapter is where the Lord says, I am rich. El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
And so he said, verse 24, uh, uh, did Abraham or Abram, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. That's it. Just, uh, just his sort of daily bread. That's it. Nothing else. Abraham doesn't want anyone to say that he is the one who made Abraham what he is. No, only God has. Only God has. The one that he believed. The God who granted him all that he had. That's faith. Why does he not pay full price? Or why does he want to pay full price? Because he has faith that God is the one who provides. God is the one who blesses. He takes no shortcuts, notice. There's no shortcuts in life. He doesn't look uh, for, for, for easy praise to build him up in the eyes of his neighbors. He does not take anything without giving back. Paul tells us, oh, no one anything except to love, right? We don't want to live our lives as Abraham, uh, as Abraham feared, that anyone can say, I is the one who made him rich. And so this is, this is his integrity. This is his character, as Paul describes it. Now, why not just bury Sarah out in the wilderness? After all, that's what he was. That's what they were. They were pilgrims. And secondly, because it would have been free. Why spend money? Again, his faith is on display here because the Lord's promised that... Or maybe I'll ask this a question. What has the Lord promised him so far about the land? What has God said? What's going to be his? What part of the land is going to be his? The whole thing. But more than, more than that, remember what I mentioned from Romans chapter 4... God also promised Abraham what? The land was just a picture of something greater. The whole world. The cosmos. Romans 4, 13. The whole cosmos. He was an heir of the cosmos. We were told. The the entire world. Abraham, uh, by buying a small little field, this cave that's within any of the trees uh, that are there, planted on it, Abraham is testifying that God is faithful and that this land belongs ultimately to God who gives. And so his purchasing a small little burial plot is a tithe, as it were, that evidences his faith that the entire land, the entire earth belongs to his God. And so you can begin to see his faith here. He weeps in faith because he knows that this is a fallen, sinful, broken world. And then he shows his faith in another world. A world that's upright. A world that's righteous. A world that's healed. He buys a piece of dirt to evidence his faith that one day he would see his wife in a place Hebrews 11 describes as the better country. That is, a heavenly one. So even where he buries his wife is an evidence of his faith. And finally, notice there, verses 19 through 20. Verses 19 through 20. His faith is expressed in that very tomb. So kids, back back in these days, the days of of Father Abraham, thousands of years ago, it's a long time ago, they buried people in caves. They buried people in caves. We bury them in the ground, right, today. But they buried them in caves. And so you'd have a, have a family cave and you would sort of dig out of the cave and in the wall a little 
sort of bed, if you will, and you wrap your loved one up and you place them on little sort of bunk beds in the cave, and that's where their bodies were laid to rest until the Lord returned. So Abraham cries when Sarah dies. Why does he bury her in a cave? Why, why bury her? Why is it that Christians have traditionally throughout history, like the Jews, we bury our dead? We bury loved ones because it's an act of faith in the truth that on the last day, Jesus Christ is going to raise the dead. Now, can God raise cremated ashes? Yes, he's God, right? He's God. So we don't want to make a huge rule out of uh, the examples of Scripture, but this is why traditionally we bury our dead, because it's an act of faith. Like Abraham, has a, he buries his wife in this field, in this cave, because it's an act of faith that God has promised the whole land, the whole cosmos, he's promised it all. And one day he would see his wife there in that land, in that heavenly place, that better country, which assumes a resurrection of the body. But that's why we bury love, our loved ones, because we expect them to be raised. Abraham evidences faith in burying his wife because he believes ultimately in a new heavens and new earth. He believed in a resurrection body to live in a place fit for resurrected saints to live with God for eternity. You see, we don't believe as Christians that our bodies are bad. And that we're going to live with God detached from our bodies just merely as disembodied souls. No, when we bury somebody, we testify that just as God created Adam out of the dust and then breathed in the breath of life, when we die, our, our soul goes immediately to God, but yet our body is laid to rest and it too one day will go to God with its soul uh, reattached, as it were, remade out of the dust, out of the ashes, to dwell with him forever. There's a great prayer from the Reformation that says it like this, and this is prayed at, uh, at, uh, at the graveside. And the prayer is this, after we bury a loved one, for as much as it hath pleased Almighty God of his great mercy to take unto himself the soul of our dear brother or sister here departed, we therefore commit his or her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be like unto his glorious body, according to the mighty working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. We bury just like Father Abraham, because we have sure and certain hope in a resurrection that awaits us. A sure resurrection that awaits us. One writer says it like this, Asleep in Jesus, blessed sleep, from which none ever wakes to weep 
a calm and undisturbed repose, unbroken by the last of foes. Asleep in Jesus, oh how sweet, to be for such a slumber meet, with holy confidence to sing that death has lost his venomed sting. Asleep in Jesus, peaceful rest, whose waking is supremely blessed. No fear, no woe shall dim that hour that manifests the Savior's power. Asleep in Jesus, oh for me, may such a blissful refuge be. Securely shall my ashes lie, waiting the summons from on high. You see, my friend, all of us are going to die. All of us are going to die. All of us are going to face our creator, our maker, dust to dust, ash to ash. God will meet us one day, whether we know that or not, whether we believe that or not, whether we like that or not. We're all going to die. We're all going to see God face to face. But the great reality of Abraham's faith that points us forward to Jesus Christ, his greater son, that great seed of Abraham who looks death in the face and who wins the battle. The great reality is that God offers you life. You're going to die, but God offers you life, not just earthly life, not just life now in the here and now. Uh, Jesus is not just a sort of a fix it for all of your life, earthly problems, and then you die and you, you cease to be. No, he offers you life now, but also especially eternal life. To come back to the God that made you, the God that we in our first parent, Adam, rebelled against and sinned against. That's why we cry at funerals, because we know something's wrong. This God who is so perfect and so great and has made all things out of nothing and who so justly could, could wipe us out in an instant into dust if he wanted to. He offers you life. He offers you life. And he says to you and he says to me that just as Jesus rose again and now at the right hand of God is pleading for us, he offers us life. To come to God, to come to him and to find rest, to find refuge, to find forgiveness, to find a place for eternity to live in blessed fellowship with our great God. God says, come to me today. Jesus Christ calls you to come to him, to believe in him, to trust in him, the one who conquered death itself. And even if we experience, as we will, the death of loved ones, And even when we cry and we weep and we're torn up inside over that death, we can experience it with hope. With hope that just like Jesus was raised up, so too we. And sure and certain confidence can be raised up as well. So come to Jesus today, the resurrection and the life. Find life in him. Trust him today. Let's pray. Merciful God, Heavenly Father, we come to you today with the realities of life and death that are always around us. But we come as your children, hoping in a greater world, a greater hope, something more that's beyond the grave. Help us, Heavenly Father, to prepare our lives for our own death, so that we meet you face to face in faith. 
Help these words this morning even help us prepare for the death of one of our loved ones. To know that we can grieve and, and we can do so in confidence and we can do so ultimately with the joy of the Lord that is our strength because we know that our loved one goes to be with you. And Father, until that day comes when our Lord Jesus returns from heaven with that final trumpet, that last shout, Lord, until that day, enable us to live with great confidence, great hope, perseverance, character, and hope so that people around us would ask us the reason for that hope. Why is it that we trust in Jesus? Why do we believe in life beyond the grave? Why do we bury our loved ones in the hope of the resurrection? And give us, Lord, ready answers. Give us love in our heart to speak that truth so full of grace. So draw to yourself today, we pray, even, Lord, those who do not know you, who are living in the fear of death, or living, Lord, in the ignorance of what lies beyond the grave. And so we pray that you would use us to bring them to know the great Savior and his forever love for his children. And we ask this all in his name and all of God's people say, Amen.